0: and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests.
1: We thought for these podcasts, it'd be really interesting to have a think about some of the etymology behind a few of the key words that our guests talk about. So let me share with you the word divide. So divide is from the Latin dividere, which means to force apart cleave distribute to separate or distinguish that was the original meaning from the latin in the 1640s we got the phrase act of dividing and then in 1807 in american english we've got the meaning of divide coming across in the separation between river valleys it's quite a nice image i always think if we've got a little story behind a word it helps us understand and hang on to it and then in the late 14th century The meaning came across as to sever the union or connection with, that's the first time that meaning came across, meaning disunite or cause to disagree in opinion. The mathematical sense of the word came around in the early 15th century, meaning the operation of division. And then the phrase divide and rule first seen around the 1600s and was one of the sayings of Machiavelli. I'm delighted on our new podcast series to be welcoming the very eloquent mathematician Andrew Jeffrey. Um, Andrew has had a very distinguished career, (laughs) just been teaching for more than 20 years. He's worked as an inspector, a lecturer, he's a prolific author of some fabulous books, and a wonderful mathematician and speaker at illustrious events. Andrew, welcome to our podcast.
0: Thank you. I feel really nervous after that introduction. (laughs) I can't wait to hear myself.
1: Well, I just love the word mathematician. I'm going to try and get that in as much as I can (laughs) for the next next 20 minutes or so. (laughs)
0: It's a great word.
1: Um, So brilliant that you are able to join us for the podcast. And we've got so many questions um, about vocabulary in maths and what does it look like and the word gap and what's the implication and the way that it impacts our young people, particularly in these times of COVID and and the legacy that that will leave. Um, So can I start by thinking about this 30 million word gap? Do you actually think that that is a true reflection of what is going on, that 30 million word gap? How does it happen? What's What's your thinking behind that concept of the 30 million word gap?
0: Mm, yeah, thanks, Helen. It's a, it's a big claim. I, I first came across this a few years ago, uh, which basically, for anyone listening, means that uh, there, it, it is theorized that um, by the age of three, some children have literally heard 30 million more words uh, than, than others. And um, it doesn't mean 30 million different words. It simply means the number of times their brain has heard a sound that is a word. I As far as I can tell, and this isn't my particular area of of expertise, uh, speech and language, but as far as I can tell, it was a fairly small study, but it has been replicated. The idea behind it is if you can't think clearly because you don't have the vocabulary, that is a massive detractor for well, more or less everything in your life. So so the word gap, whether it's 30 million or 20 million or 10 million, is, is kind of by the by. The, the real issue is that we know vocabulary is very much linked to uh, economic uh, background. It's very much linked to future success. So I think we owe it to our children to make sure that this gap is closed and closed quickly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a really interesting way to start this podcast because obviously our focus today is thinking about maths but the the wider picture what we have to contend with is the context of course that our young people are sitting in yeah Mm. so that contextual information is really vital for us so okay what's this got to do with maths then because isn't that just numbers (laughs)
0: Isn't it just numbers? Absolutely. There's so many different factors. So, our vocabulary acquisition starts in various ways. It starts in the home, uh, where we listen, uh, we mimic, we attempt to speak, uh, what's been called thoughtful imitation. The number of books that we read or have read to us, uh, the amount of time we spend in conversations, and all of that uh, then goes into what we think about in terms of Mm -hmm. learning. So, mathematics is a language people don't often think of it that way but I think if we start from that point then in order to hear to learn a language you have to both hear it and speak it and it's very difficult to think in mathematics using mathematical terms if you're not aware of them uh, now children are often aware of concepts before they're aware of the language that goes with the concept yeah. so that that has implications for how we teach so for example I I get the idea of behind the sofa or behind uh, mummy, long before I know the word behind. Yeah, absolutely. Underneath or in the box. And so we should really associate language to concepts, to ideas. So children need to move, do, describe, and, and all of those things help
1: yeah. them. Yeah, it's almost visceral, isn't it? That concept of language becoming part of our um, experience physically, in a classroom and setting is so important to try and get kids active and engaged in learning and doing and the vocabulary almost transmits by osmosis in those, in those situations. Do you think there's something that's specifically difficult in mass about the word gap?
0: I do, yes, I guess, I guess a couple of things. Firstly, this idea of um, homonyms. The word net means something different to a fisherman, uh, a fisherman, yeah. uh, a footballer, or a mathematician. Consider, just consider this sentence. Uh, Mrs. Moore shared her takeaway while reading the Times. Uh, it's a fairly short sentence. Um, but, uh, but children who, who only learn words in a single context, more could be add, takeaway could be subtract, share could be divide, and times could be multiply. And in that one sentence... We're sort of implying four different things, none of which are actually true. So uh, that's the first point. The point that uh, words that children thought they knew suddenly take on a different meaning, um, a line, um, a row, uh, all sorts of things like that. Uh, Other examples would be um, take away, as I've just said, uh, square. Yeah, you think about square, yeah, uh, and all the, yeah a, a number, uh, all these. There are words that just seem to mean one thing. Yeah. Round, yeah, round the corner, and suddenly we're talking about uh, edge, side. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of these things are really difficult. So children are having to relearn words that they don't know. That's the first thing. The second thing is they they get introduced to words in a way that is akin to. Trying to, trying to hang a coat up in midair. <laughs> There's literally nothing to hang it on. You, you have, it will just fall. And so I think one of the um, habits that I think is not always helpful in, in a maths lesson is the idea of in, introducing technical vocabulary into a learning objective. So let me give you an example. Today we're learning about square numbers. Yeah. Well, that's a really unhelpful thing to say, I think, because that's, saying, that's giving this children this word, square, but, but nowhere to yeah. hang it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm moving my arms, even though I know this won't be video. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm literally... It's hanging very my coat impressive. I can air. see you've hung that coat really nicely. Well done. You're going
1: on the star yeah. chart,
0: Andrew. Like You're going Mr. on the star chart. Oh, <laughs> stick it, <at> Mr. Miyake. <laughs> um, so actually, yeah, so just, there are two things. So it's the um, lots of new words that uh, I thought I knew and now suddenly mean something else. And also words, I mean, even words like 23, what do you see when you... What, what picture do you do you conjure up um can I make a, an, a parallel with reading yeah absolutely it's, obviously that's an area that you know loads more than I do about so um the way we teach children to read is by giving them books with no words yeah. in right that's a really yeah. strange thing to do but it makes absolutely perfect sense and the reason is um I I, I mean down I, I I live in Brighton and uh, the Public transport is you know, pretty full on. So, this, all the children around here have been on a bus long before they know what a bus is. They, they learn about bus, well, what I call the principle of kinesthetic investment. Oh, I like that. So, like you said, it's visceral. Something, yeah, have it. <laughs> <laughs> something we do, something we actually uh, do. So, they go on a bus and then they learn because they hear someone say bus and they can't say it themselves, yet they'll say, "bus." Or whatever was one of the first words our first child said Uh, but they love it they love going upstairs they love going to the front right absolutely and and then and then they see when they see a picture of a bus even though it's tiny like tiny tiny they know it's a bus because they can scale that to the experience they've had and then and then they um see a cartoon of a bus which doesn't look real but they can relate it to a bus but then they see a b a u and an s later and that's really hard there's nothing bus like about it so in other words, to learn to read, you have to go through this concrete and pictorial visual yeah, phase.
1: Absolutely. And we, um, and we often and, take away those pictures too soon.
0: Oh, totally. In math, it's the same. In math, it's exactly the same. So language is, uh, it, it's not the first step. Experience mm. is the first step and listening to language. And then that, of course, gives step. us
1: another area of divide because that cultural capital experience that our young people have and others don't have plays such a, such a part of our experience before we even get to a classroom setting.
0: Well, that is so sad, yeah. isn't it? Um, there was a, there was a study in 2013, I think, that said, um, even by the age of two, even by the age of two, uh, you know, children in different socioeconomic groups displayed dramatic sort of differences in their vocabularies. Yeah. Isn't that awful? Uh, so we have to, I think, we have to mitigate that. Uh, Laura Colker, who's a brilliant uh, author and early years expert, I'm sure you know, um, she said something uh, which absolutely resonates with me. We have to, as teachers, advocate for equity.
1: That's nice. I thought
0: that was a marvellous yeah. thing. Yeah. That's so
1: vital. It's And that really picks up on um, Robin Alexander's point where he says, how uniquely powerful the teacher is in terms of vocabulary we must not lose sight of how vital the teacher's role is for vocabulary it's our own ability as a speaker as a listener to model that really empowers progress for our young people really fascinating oh yeah that's lovely. so yeah. what can we do about this in terms of resources then what what are some of the key resources that might help us boost our young people's vocabulary in math?
0: Okay. Well, that, I think that's a good question. It's about habits. I think it's about habits. So as teachers and family members, we need to just be talking to our children all mm. the time um, and listening to them and and gently correcting uh, by modeling. So for example, even yesterday, I was walking through a classroom uh, uh, and a year five uh, teaching assistant was working with a child and the child said, I forget the exact phrase, but something like, I'd I done, done the work. Uh, and the teacher said, the TA's father TA said, oh, well done. You did the work. That's great. In other words, praising the child, but just modeling yeah. that Reflecting correct back language. the
1: right grammar. Yeah.
0: Because it yeah, might be yeah, that absolutely. that's the only
1: forum in which these ch- these children are getting standard English of some description um, and we're, yes. we're disenfranchising their opportunities later on if we don't model standard English versions. Obviously, we value all versions of English, vital to do that. But we must also make sure that standard English is modeled in the classroom because that's the, the writerly language that we must use in professional um, moments such as examination. In it, though. In it. <laughs>
0: In it, in it, yeah. But you see, there's a, there's a danger there as well that we mustn't take too kind of high, what's the word I'm going to give or too kind of judgmental an attitude because as you say, language evolves, there's character, there's dialect and stuff. But if we can, if we can just give children the opportunity to hear um, what is at least currently the, the correct sort of version of English. Um, so you, you asked me what, uh, what we can do to mitigate. I think um, certainly from a mathematical point of view, if we can have equipment for them to focus on, there's something for them to visualize. Yes. That's the yeah. first thing.
1: And so tell me about resources such as Numicon because I have to uh, confess that when I've been on inspections and kids are using Numicon, boy, does that look engaging.
0: It is um, engaging, and you wouldn't have thought that it would help with vocabulary, but it actually does. I think they've produced a report to that effect. Um, but the reason it does is uh, probably best explained by uh, have I got time for an anecdote? We love an anecdote in any We love an anecdote. We love an anecdote. I am slightly over anecdotal, but it but it helps me make sense of the Anecdoty, world. thats metaphor, another one you writing down. I
1: like that one too.
0: <laughs> anecdote is going straight in the dictionary. There we go. You should model that. You see, you should reflect that back to me as anecdotal, Andrew. <laughs> All right. So two years ago, I am in a year one classroom in Rome doing some moderation. And I come across um, a lovely rug on the floor, which is a hundred square. Can you imagine how envious I was of a hundred square rug? In Rome. Um, my wife has made it quite clear in Rome. My wife has made it quite clear that we're not having a hundred square rug uh, in our house, but I still love her. Anyway, on the, um, on the windowsill of this classroom is a box of Numicon shapes. And I said to the nearest child near me, as, as I tend to do, oh, what, what are those? And he said, they're numbers. I said, are they really? How interesting. What's this one? And I held up the, the, the shape that represents the number eight. And he said, that's an eight. And I said, I thought that was an eight and pointed to the carpet on the floor. He said, oh, they're both eight. I said, oh, let's put it on there then. So we put the eight on there. And I pointed to the number below the eight on the hundred square, obviously the 18. And and I said, which piece goes there? And he looked at me with a kind of raised eyebrow. Who's this stupid man? And said, there isn't one for 18. You have to make it. And I said, oh, how could you make it? And he said, "With well, a 10 and an eight. And and I went, okay, fine. And I started looking around the rest of the room. And I came back a couple of minutes later. And what he'd done was amazing. He'd started to cover the hundred square. Each number had the right bits of Neimancon. And what he'd noticed was that uh, below the eight was uh, 10 and an eight, then two tens and an eight. And, and he was able to um, verbalize what he was doing to his friends because they had a shared image to look at. Just like if you and I had both seen a film, then we could talk yeah. about it because we have the same image now shared experience. my uh yes yeah. yeah, completely my tutor at university has, uh, he recommended a book, uh, years later, actually, he recommended a book um, called Thinking as Communicating by Anna Sfard, And it really changed the way I think about language, Helen, because uh, it basically says that thinking, well, we, we tell children to think, don't we? Come on, come on, you can do this. You've got this. Yeah. Come on, think. We don't really tell them what that means. And, and I, when I was challenged, I didn't know what it meant either, really. Um, and yet, I've been telling kids to do it for years. It means have a conversation with yourself, right?
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Have a conversation with yourself. Yes,
0: literally. And as you have that conversation, you're using language and you're using experiences. So to go back to your question, what can we do? We can make sure children have plenty of experiences. That kind of maybe gives you a bit of a clue as to why, um, you know, social mobility has you know, it has an impact because they don't maybe have the same opportunities to see things and places. And I mean, there's an estate near here, which is terribly sad. It's two miles from the beach and a a significant percentage of the children there have never seen the sea. And that's, that's really, really sad.
1: It's it's the same here. I'm in Torquay and uh, I'm working with a school down in Camborne at the moment. And they're saying exactly the same. Young people have not been taken to the beach and you're drawing on, you're drawing on those shared experiences of what does sand feel like? What's it feel like to put your feet in the water? You know, living in Devon, as I do near the water in Torquay and working with school in Camborne, they're telling me that they've got kids who don't have that shared experience of what does it feel like to hold sand in your hand? What does it feel like to put your toes in the water? And yet they're just moments from the sea. So yeah, in terms of shared experience, that's, I think that's one of our biggest challenges in school to trigger prior learning, to, to, to talk about, you know, imagination and thinking you need some concrete remembrance of things you've done. And that cultural capital divide can yeah. be quite significant. Talking about um, talk in the mass classroom. I'm, I'm a huge advocate that, that talk is our biggest driver for, for delivering enhanced vocabulary in the classroom. Is is talk in the maths classroom important and and if it is, what should it look like?
0: No, it's not important <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. It's the most uh, it's the most important thing. In fact, um Louise Pennington, who uh, you I believe is coming on yes, as a guest yes, uh, in another very episode. Exciting. Um She's great. She wrote a very interesting article about um, maybe language is the fourth arm of uh, what we call in maths the CPA, concrete pictorial abstract That's idea. That's Star Wars creature. Uh, and, and I think it's tr- <laughs> it's just a bit like it. But, so language, um, again, I think it ties back very nicely to this far idea that um, thinking is communicating. So what we have is a situation in the math class where some children, they there are basically five groups of children in a the class. There are the ones who who sit there and just aren't able to understand you or access, either because of language barriers or because of your because even English is a second language and they've got all that going on. The translation takes up so much of their working memory, um, or, or because there are so many gaps, they're not mm-hmm. ready. You know, uh, you can't tell a child to run a foot, yeah, walk, yeah. etc. So there's those children uh, who just kind of look a bit blankly. And then there's the second ones who who actually are, are just smart enough to pretend they're thinking. <laughs> All right. so that's quite good. Uh, they kind of put on their thinking face, yeah. uh, and then there's the ones who are actually thinking, and you can tell the difference between those two groups because that, their eyes are moving. If they're genuinely thinking hard about something, their eyes will move, which is fascinating. And then there's the ones who just go me me me, pick me, pick me, which are, you know. And then there's the ones who go twelve. The answer's twelve, and all of those children. <laughs> that's it. We've got the whole, in whole classroom class. in front of
1: us now. I can see them all.
0: You can, and, and every teacher who I tell this to goes, yep, I've got all five of those uh, in my class. But we have, to, we have to make sure that all of them get a chance. And so one really, really effective technique is to not ask the whole class a question, but to say, um, tell your partner the answer yeah. to this. And not only that, one, one thing that I have uh, I found quite by accident as a teacher, because I was fed up with the kind of group five child. It only takes one of them. <laughs> there was a group five <laughs> type child. It's, I said, all right, in a minute, I'm going to ask you, not who has a good answer, but who heard one? Yeah, nice. And this, this really transformed my math classroom. Who heard a good yeah. answer? Because then if you want to be the child who gets the kudos, you have to make sure that A, you explain it very, very clearly to your partner and B, they're prepared to, to, to show up because there's a lot of confidence issues around because that. There's
1: a value on listening. And listening is almost our, our forgotten element of vocabulary. You know, if, if we're a good listener and don't talk too much, you know, maybe we're taking in more so that when it is our opportunity and a question like that, who heard a great answer really brings that out. Love it.
0: So there's a um, there's a game that uh, is published by the ATM, the Association of Teachers of Mathematics, and it's suitable for secondary and primary really. And it talks about uh, it's called Forbidden with four spelled F O U R, and it's effectively yeah I <laughs> like it's effectively taboo the the card oh, yeah. game yeah, taboo. Yeah, I love that one. Um, yeah, but without any taboos really, it's very safe uh, safe to use <laughs> at school. And it'll have a word that you have to try and uh, say to, to uh, your classmates or your friends or your partner or your small group uh, such as triangle and then it'll say you have to get them to say this word but you're not allowed to say and then it'll give yeah. you a list of forbidden words so you're not allowed to say three um or corners um or anything like that and it's remarkably hard to really um, hard and you probably have to, to sit
1: on your hands as well because i'd be tempted to draw it in the air
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and so that forces children to bring out um language that's one task um Another thing, uh, always, sometimes, never true. You can give children the list of statements and they have to decide whether they're always true, sometimes true or never true. This works in small groups and you're only allowed to, to move on to the next statement once the whole table agree. So this idea of conversational reasoning in mathematics rather than uh, what I call worshipping at the temple of the tick, which isn't what maths is all about at all. Maths is a, a communication. That's another Math little thing to Maths is communication, add in. love
1: that. Brilliant, mm. and just games generally are so so engaging for kids, aren't they? And naturally facilitate mm. lots of talk, which which you can then you know up level as the teacher and pull out the book, the best bits, and capture the best bits for for keep keeping on the walls or wherever. Um, we've had a question mm. coming from Twitter, which is very cool, from a lady called Rebecca, um, and she's asking us where should people go to get hold of the right kind of mass vocabulary.
0: Oh, excellent question. All right. So um, there are math dictionaries out there. Um, Those people with an Oxford OWL subscription, of course, there's an online version available. Here's a plug um, for something that is uh, entirely free for anyone to download off my um, website. A vocabulary list. I've only done it for uh, the primary curriculum. Um, if anyone's interested, let me know, and I can do a secondary one at some point. But I basically went through the national curriculum, the 2014 version, with the current version, and uh, and picked out all the new vocabulary. Vocabulary that's that is introduced in each year group uh, one to six at the time i wrote it early years foundation stage was still being finalized it was still in consultation so i haven't done anything uh, around that yet um incidentally uh, early years teachers will all know the importance of, of language describing language is everything yeah. to children because it allows them to have a hook to make sense of things um but yeah this um it's a primary vocabulary book uh, it's a pdf so it can be instantly downloaded and um, it's awesome. free, uh, so you just literally go to, go to my website andrewjeffrey.co.uk and uh, it, you'll search around and you'll find a primary um, vocabulary book. So that's one thing. It doesn't, though, Rebecca, have definitions. Um, So for definitions, you do need to go to those uh, online uh, dictionaries and things. Textbooks are usually, not infallible, but textbooks are usually very good for explaining the names of of terms, which just allow you to think things through, really. Because the problem with maths is it's such an abstract idea. If I say cat, cat, you can draw it. Yes, you can hold it. Um, hmm, You can, but if I say uh, double... That's a really difficult thing to either draw or say or think. So so we have to have... Unless you're um, in a pub, which uh, none of us are at the minute, but it it helps if you're in a pub. Oh, it's a little (laughs) bit early. Yeah, a little bit early for a double. Although I've just had a double cappuccino, so that's something.
1: Oh, double double cappuccinos (laughs) all the way. Awesome. So (laughs) final final question relates to the most recent Word Gap report, which came out in October. Um, And the focus for that report was looking at bridging the word gap at transition and thinking about what it looks like to move from from key stage two to key stage three in terms of vocabulary is something that I think is going to become more and more prevalent in our schools and something that we should be arming our kids with you know equipping them with the right toolkit to move from primary to secondary school in terms of their vocabulary um Mm -hmm. in maths what might that look like to to move from, you know, year five through to year eight in terms of vocabulary? And how can, our, how can our teachers really equip our young people for that transition in maths vocabulary?
0: That's a tricky one because um, in a sense, they, they move from a very different style of learning. Yeah. Uh, so, so primary primary learning um, at its best is quite um, investigative. Is quite uh, collaborative. Um, secondary, uh, not not in all cases. I, I certainly don't want to overgeneralize this. But but most people's secondary experience is a little more solitary, mm. and so they're not getting the same opportunities. Plus, of course, there's that issue of as we get older. Particularly into those teen years, we've become a bit more self-conscious about mathematical conversations. Um, so, r- although I'd love to have a, a magic wand to wave, I think the answer is simply to make sure that as they move from primary to secondary, they have a they have a really good grasp of all the mathematical vocabulary they need, and that Year Seven teachers and Year Eight teachers are constantly revisiting that. You see, there's a there's a focus in primary schools on um, or or sorry it's in year four I should say on multiplication tables because that's when uh, well present circumstances notwithstanding that's when eventually the year four multiplication test will become uh, a compulsory thing Mm. but it's almost like once they're off Once the pressure's off, they do them less. I I think if I was a year seven teacher, I'd be still doing um, language tests, multiplication tests every day. There's nothing to stop you doing a um, uh, math word of the week, for example, uh, math word of the day, uh, and just repeat it. And repetition, um, it's, it's not, Sexy or fashionable, but actually good old fashioned repetition, re- repeated recall, spaced recall. Those are the things we know the brain holds on to. So if you hear the words, you'll remember them. Yeah. If you use them, you'll remember them even more.
1: Brilliant. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I've learned a lot myself. Maths is certainly not an area that I've spent a huge amount of time in, um, but it's just brilliant to talk about what vocabulary looks like in the maths classroom and see how many. Commonalities there are actually with other other areas of the curriculum, and thinking about that idea of moving from primary to secondary and equipping our young people with what they need. I think it's a fascinating conversation. Thank you.
0: That's a pleasure. It's always good to talk to you, Helen.
1: Bless you. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To receive bonus material relevant to the discussion, please visit www.oup.com/education/podcasts.